traditional loyalty programs will probably be the last to and may never make their memberships completely visible on the blockchain um, for the reasons that you that you mentioned. What you can do, the, the possibilities are endless. It's more, what is the goal of each company and where do they want to get? All you really need to do is, is kind of look around and see who's making the, the biggest bets in this new technology. And no surprise, it's Nike, Starbucks, and, and Disney. Um, so that, that gives me a lot of confidence that this, that this tech is here to stay. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we'd like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this episode, we'll explore what the future holds for Web3 and other NFT activities. To help me with this fascinating subject, I'm joined by two guests well steeped in all things Web3. So please, can I introduce Gabriel Giancola from Kibi. Hi, Gabriel. Hi, and nice to meet you. Pleasure nice. to be here. Well, you've been on before, so it's like... Yeah, true, friends, true, 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 true. That is true. Yeah. I'm excited about the call. Fantastic. And Chris Miller from Flaunt NFT. Hi, Chris. Hi, Ian. Thanks so much for having me on. And you're based in the US. I hope it's a lot, cold, lot warmer than it is here. It's freezing cold. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm in Chicago where we have just entered our like six months of grayness and just doom <laughs> outside. So sorry to start the podcast off on that note. And Gabrielle, <laughs> I'm sitting in a freezing cold basement. <laughs> Gabriel, you're in Zurich. Yeah, I'm in Zurich. So not, not, a, not a lot warmer than uh, where you guys are. Um, we're also freezing here. Exactly, exactly. Perfect. So just to get us started, could you, could you each give us a quick introduction to yourselves and your experience in Web3, especially around uh, loyalty programs? Gabriel, do you want to go first on that one? Sure. Um, basically, our experience comes from, uh, let's say, the last uh, four years working on uh, blockchain loyalty, that intersection. And of course, now, the last two, three years also, um, the topic NFT uh, was, uh, was, let's say, much more um, prioritized. Uh, what we are offering is a B2B um, uh, rewards marketplace um, that is all blockchain based, uh, where basically companies can connect with each other, um, their loyalty program very efficiently um, through one integration options and, um, and issue also their NFT, do different collections and all connected to um, loyalty. So what we really focus in is to use the let's say blockchain technology from a perspective not of speculation which a lot of people focus on in the market which is all about crypto and so on um and then when you discuss about the ftx and it's not it's not at all about that it's really about using blockchain from a perspective that you can create so much efficiency and with that efficiency um that you can create um, a lot of new use cases and benefits can come up for brands for um customers that have nothing to do with crypto and have only to do by using a new technology Perfect. And you, Chris? Yeah. So my, my background prior to making the leap into Web3 full time uh, is in digital advertising. So I, I currently um, am a co-founder of a business called Flaunt. We are um, a, an enterprise Web3 loyalty management software platform. But uh, like I said, started my career in digital advertising. My co-founder uh, was at Roblox and we've known each other for a very long time. And so back in 2019, we were actually having a conversation about some of the early brands that were being ushered onto the Roblox platform, you know, the Gucci's of the world, Nike, and really started thinking about, you know, how are brands going to measure the ROI of these new types of experiences and, and ways of, of engaging with their customers. And then sort of flash forward to 2021, that was my first personal experience with NFTs. So 
bought my first NFT, joined a, a community on on Discord, and started to really experience the the magic of of Web three, which we'll we'll obviously get more into um, th- throughout the episode today, I, I imagine. But you know that was really kind of the experience for both my co-founder and I, where light bulbs just started going off about. Um, not only the the personal sense of loyalty and attachment that we had to this community, which was effectively a budding brand, um, but you know, starting to envision some of these principles translating into future models of of ways that brands were going to create loyalty with their customers. So, we launched Flaunt a few months ago, and you know, we're helping brands make the leap into Web three. Okay, no thanks for that, Chris. So, could you who wants to talk through what Web three is, the principles of Web three? Gabrielle, do you want to just for people that have don't know anything about Web3 or NFTs, just really basic stuff. What, what would you, how would you describe it? I think that like to describe it very, very simply is um, if you look at the evolution from Web1 to Web3, um, Web1 is you were sharing information in the sense that you had a classic website, an e-commerce store. So you were sharing some information and people uh, were able to buy something or to check something from like the classic first websites, right? Um, Web2 was more about creating information. So user-generated content, social media, um, all these all these tools that basically enable us to in, enhance our free speech, if you want so, and, and create more on the web. And Web3 is about owning information. Um, and, and that's, I think, really the, I'd say, what puts it more on, on, the, on the point. It's um, about, and you, you see it in different use cases where you basically... Um, of course, as a layer, it's always blockchain, but then the dif- different use cases give you the ability to use or let's say to own that um, that information. That information can be money. How much do I have on my wallet or on my bank account? That can be information like how much do I have on my loyalty program? Um, what kind of membership do I have today? A membership is maybe a card, a plastic card or an Excel table at the club. Um, so there is a lot of, let's say, power to basically bring all these kind of informations that right now are stored in so many different databases that can be very easily manipulated and, and that information that can be valuable like money or like a membership or like a supply chain information that can just be manipulated and, and taken away from, from you or from other t- stakeholders, that there really goes the, the whole topic of decentralization. Um, taking a database, making it really um, not dependable from anyone, so having that decentralization and saying this is one source of truth where we can all trust that information and you know you own it and it's not FTX that basically owns maybe your your crypto or, or doesn't really own it and, and maybe shows it to you in the front end. So that's a classic example of where centralization fails and, and why decentralization, uh, where you, for example, have decentralized exchanges where you own your piece of information, the tokens. Um, doesn't really happen because uh, you, you're responsible for that part. So in effect, in a loyalty perspective, I, I have points that may reside in a database somewhere, but now we're saying that those points don't just reside in a database somewhere, but actually I own that asset as well that's controlled by me, and I can sell that asset because right. I own it. Yeah. That I can sell it, that I can sell it, I think that's an automatic, uh, let's say, it's like a bit of a cliche when you use blockchain, you have an asset and you can sell it or you can trade it, but that's not the case. Like if I produce it, let's say if I create a smart contract, I can also define some parameters. So it's not, it is not um, a must that an asset on a blockchain needs to be sold and bought on a market. Okay, you know what okay. I mean? So it can, yeah, it can just, trans- it can just transport information in, in that, in, from that perspective. So, um, if you look at the supply chain, why should somebody in a supply chain, if you just 
Um, if you look at typical supply chain process, there are so many stakeholders involved and information needs to go from one database to the other, right? And everyone checks the same information. So it's not that something changes a lot. Now, if you have one database that is decentralized and basically you see the exact audit trail of all that information, how it was built, that basically gives more efficiency to all the stakeholders because everyone sees the same thing. And on the other side, um, you basically don't have to trust anyone um, that that information is the right one and you say yeah, it's a bank and they are behind this estate and so on it's always a trust thing if you want to take away the trust topic um decentralization is is and that's why that byzantine uh, problem let's say gets uh, solved with decentralization because you need to carry information around a lot of different players without having to trust one central player i i think about it through through the lens of today facebook and and google are the primary beneficiaries of not only our our attention, but of our data. And the principle behind Web3 and decentralizing the way that information is stored and, and shared and, and ultimately owned for me is, is really about uh, shifting that that power of ownership back into the hands of, of us, right? Of everyday citizens to have more control over your data. Um, you know, again, I come from the digital advertising world, and and that is such a uh, an increasingly important topic. Um, but also the idea that uh, everyday citizens can have control over the ownership of content that they put out as well is a, is a really interesting kind of use case for for all this. So totally agree with how you're thinking about things, Gabrielle. That's just sort of the the other example that I like to weave into the mix is. Right now, these titans uh, in 100%. Facebooks and Googles of the world have so much control, um, mm -hmm. and so it's it's really about um, shifting power back into the hands of everyday citizens. But if we if 100%. we're decentralizing if we're decentralizing your status or your your where you sit with a loyalty program, does that not mean that I could be targeted by what, what I could be targeted if I if I publish out there all my best customers? Then does that not then mean? that another company could target my best customers with offers because they know that I am British Airways' best customer or Starbucks' best customer. Doesn't that mean that if I'm Virgin or if I'm if I'm Costa, I could just go after that base? I think it'll be interesting to see how... The, the, the short answer is is yes. If that is the... Uh, if that is the way that a brand decides to to move into the, the, the next wave of the internet uh, is to up and up and move their existing loyalty programs and their membership statuses onto the blockchain, then yes, in, in theory, that is now public information for your biggest competitors to capitalize on. What Starbucks is is doing and, and what we will, I'm sure, talk a little bit more about in a minute is uh, a total complement to their rewards program. So there, there won't be anything visible uh, publicly about the tier um, that that you are within their loyalty program, and I would suspect that uh, most brands will probably take that approach as well. At least early on, you might have some um, some emerging brands that choose to sort of jump straight to the Web three version of this, um, and they're probably going to optimize for um, you know some of those those consumer benefits as a growth strategy to attract more customers because that is a more customer centric view on it. But traditional loyalty programs uh, in in some of the industries that first come to mind when you think about loyalty will probably be the last to and may never uh, make their memberships completely visible on the blockchain um, for the reasons that you that you mentioned. 
Yeah, so I think what we're both saying is that world of Web3 and NFT is likely just to be very different from the world we are today because it's going to reflect different different behaviours, different drivers. And, and if loyalty works for a 10 stamps, get one free digitally, that's happy days. But that might not necessarily be a play that's going to be most appropriate for, for the Web3. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, I think it's a bit also... Thinking about brands being transparent, if you look at social media, it pushed brands, for example, to show how many fans and followers they have. So already some transparency came up and you already have to fight for attention. And there is a clear KPI if I'm on Twitter. How many followers do I have as a brand? And of course, I make the benchmark as the head of social media. If I'm working at Coca-Cola, I'm watching Pepsi, Pepsi and seeing how many followers do they have. So there is already competition on that level. And I think it's more about understanding understanding what level of, let's say, decentralization brands will want until what point. Because it won't be from today to tomorrow, full decentralization and everything Everything is a token that you can check out on Etherscan or on a block explorer and, and, and they have all their users there. Um, I think I agree with, uh, with Chris. It will start step by step like Starbucks did now with, uh, with Odyssey. That's a completely, um, program apart. So you can also easily start from zero in that sense and actually show how that curve goes up. It's, you have to have a certain confidence, I think, that things will go good. And if they go south, that you're ready to accept, let's say, if questions will come, because that's for sure a point in 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 uh, in the whole blockchain and crypto space. There is a, a very high degree of transparency in a certain sense that you can check a lot of on-chain data and you can just check it every time and instantly. So you can make a lot of different comparison between different projects that claim to have, I don't know, a certain amount of users and so on. You can easily check that by just looking at um, public data and seeing if that is right or not. So. That changes for sure the game for some brands. I don't think that will happen in the next one, two years, to be fully honest. And I guess it then depends what sort of brand you are. Because if you take someone like uh, JetBlue, who when they had their badges, this is right up their street, yeah? Because uh, challenger brand, democratizing your product to all of your people and all of your staff works really well for that brand, yeah? Mm -hmm. And badges worked phenomenally successful for them. But with a brand like British Airways, where they are much more old school or they're much more closed off and they mm -hmm. want to be much more protective of their data and all that. that. That would be an anathema to them. But I guess this is what makes competition so exciting, isn't it? 100%. Badges are a really interesting use case, Ian, because just the, the sort of gamified nature of them bring Web3 into the picture and now all of a sudden you've got this, this real stakes secondary market. You know, you, you think about uh, badges that that exist within major gaming platforms like like Roblox and and ultimately uh, your avatar item is not an item that you actually own in real life that's interoperable with other platforms that you could then resell and and recoup you know real fiat for and so um, the the badge use case is probably one that I think we'll see a lot of brands adopt for this technology again as opposed to uh, completely uprooting their membership tiers or loyalty points and, and making them tokens on a blockchain. Yeah. I mean, and who do you think are doing that well at the moment? Because, you, you know, there are a bunch of brands out there doing NFTs. Who, who do you think really kind of grasp what the future looks like and are really doing something well on this? A couple brands come to mind for me. You know, Starbucks and Nike get a lot of the headlines, but two that I think are kind of under the radar right now are Lacoste. So they launched a, you know, relatively small scale 
program. I think they sold around 11,000 uh, NFTs and it's very targeted to the Web3 native sliver of their audience. And, and that's certainly, you know, a way for brands to uh, to test into this. Uh, right now, there's a lot of complexity that exists in the Web3 space. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of companies hard at work to make this Web3 thing accessible to everybody. But um, right now, there, there's a lot of friction. And so, um, a great way for brands to get started is to is to test this with a Web3 native audience. And so, you know, the principles that uh, Lacoste is, is bringing to the table are this idea of creating a community and co-creating with their community. And so just as a like really silly example, if you bought one of their original NFTs, you were able to choose and sort of vote on the designs for what the uh, community's next iteration of that NFT would look like. So you know, really just the idea of involving people uh, in this democratic sort of way where, hey, the number of NFTs that you own is actually reflective of your voting power uh, on these different on these different community initiatives. They're doing a lot of other cool experiential type stuff, whether it's um, events in person or, you know, digital challenges where you can earn rewards and things. Um, the other thing that's not completely related to this underwater program, which is their NFT, is that they've they've uh, created a game on Minecraft. And so, um, you know, I, I sort of bundle that in, even though it's not Web3 or, or blockchain uh, powered, it's part of this, you know, greater sort of uh, uh, push toward trying to create value for people where they are um, and, and, you know, creating relationships with people in a multitude of ways, whether that's playing a game that's actually like fun and enjoyable on a platform where people are already spending their time or having the community vote on what the next uh, product uh, design is, is going to look like. You know, th those are the types of things that are really kind of Web3 at their core. But do you think those people who are on underwater uh, for Lacoste, are they people, trendy sportsmen sitting in their rooms in Lacoste t-shirts? Or do you think that audience is a different audience? Hard to say. I mean, one of the one of the interesting and, and sort of beneficial things as a consumer in Web three is the uh, anonymity, right? So uh, it's 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 hard to say who those folks actually are. I mean, uh, they are managing their community right now on Discord, which tends to lend itself to a younger kind of gaming uh, type audience, and so you know you you could uh, uh, imagine this is probably a a you know. Uh, more affluent, um, you know, younger millennial, older Gen Z type of type of audience that they're trying to engage and um, engage them in ways that their traditional loyalty program uh, doesn't do. Yeah, no, interesting. And Gabriel, wh wh who do you think are doing it well? Um, I have like one project that I really, really like um, doesn't really come out of the um, the loyalty market. Um, I don't know if you guys know Gary V. Gary yeah. Vaynerchuk. Yep. Uh, he's like uh, he has a media company and so on, um, uh, and he basically you find him a lot of Instagram and a lot of uh, basically young generations follow him since like he's motivating them and so on. And what he created is uh, V Friends, and um, I would say that's one of the first and I would say one of the best um, templates, if you want to call it, 
um, for an NFT uh, project and how you can actually um, generate loyalty and generate a completely new art of uh, having a membership and, and having actually uh, being part of a community in a club. So um, there you basically purchased the, an, an NFT. There were different rarities um, of, of NFTs and uh, with each rarity you were getting different benefits. So imagine a bit like tiers, but instead of being like the classic silver, gold and platinum tier, it was like different uh, animals um, that had like different uh, uh, rarity levels and um, and basically you were getting unique experiences um, but the, let's say the core product was it's a ticket for the conference so every year he does a conference so you get basically directly your ticket and you get only in if you hold an nft so my brother for example holds an nft i can't get in with him because I can't buy, I can't buy a ticket for the conference. I would need to hold an NFT. So already that super exclusive. If I don't have the, the NFT, I don't get into the conference. Um, the second part is you get like unique experiences. For example, um, there are different uh, NFTs with the f- a 10 minute FaceTime call with uh, him. There is uh, one where you can have him as a keynote speaker, one where you can have an NBA um, uh, game where you th- that you watch with him first row. The other one was, I think, uh, a brunch with 20 people with him. Like all, of course, he's like a bit of a celebrity. So the main value that he's giving away to his fans is spending time with him, right? And now time from time to time basically in the last 12 months there were different drops that were then done with special gifts like additional nfts um merchandising all of those things they were fully focused on the different tiers so <clears throat> everyone holding that animal basically receives this for example so you have that part of the community super excited writing about it hyping the project and so on so they did a huge amount i would say on showing how you can do loyalty with nfts and putting memberships on a different level from an economical perspective and that's a bit one of the things that is i think difficult for brands to to then go into is that whole i sell a membership for a certain price and then there is secondary market because that has nothing to do with how good my product is that has nothing to do how big my community is that has to do that you have 95 percent of the crypto market that just wants to speculate and trade They don't care what the utility is, right? And that's why we always say, look, if you want to sell a membership, if you want to, if it's like at the end of the day, you have subscription based loyalty programs, right? Where the clear business model of that loyalty program is you pay me 10 bucks per month and you get additional benefits. Fairly, very fair, very fair logic, right? If you now start changing the logic and you say, Hey, that membership gets more valuable, you can do that, but it has to be more controlled. That's been my perspective, how it will be also adopted more in future, because otherwise it's um, it's just branded NFTs with a bunch of utilities that get traded in the crypto market. Yeah. So if you were a frequent flyer program, for example, and you you made your status an NFT, then that could be traded. All people would do is every time they went for a flight, they'd buy access to a lounge and they'd use it and then they'd buy access to the lounge next time. You, you just it would it would completely kill the, the, the purpose of that particular status level because, you know, the status statuses exist because the lounges aren't busy or, or when the lounges aren't busy, there's just enough demand to get into there. And as soon as that demand curve gets get, gets disrupted, it will you, you'll have full lounges. It won't work. Um, well, I, I think you're hitting on on something really critical, Ian, which is brands should not be adopting this technology if it's going to put more rocks into their pocket, 
right? That they should be thinking about what are the challenges that I have as a business today? Maybe it's um, thinking about new creative ways to engage the next generation of, of consumers. Maybe it's I'm in a really competitive industry where pretty much everybody's loyalty program looks, feels, and, and behaves similarly. And I'm looking for a complementary way to uh, enhance it. But if, if I'm just kind of creating some of the complexity that, that you just spoke about, and, and I'm an airline and loyalty is absolutely critical to my business, my loyalty program rather is, is critical to my business, um, you're, you're just adding more rocks into your pocket rather than taking them out. And so I, I, I think that's, that's the critical piece to think about what are the challenges that I have today that these principles of ownership and community and interoperability and multiversal you know, experiences can solve for. Yeah, I, I, I'm starting to think that. I'm starting to think it's a completely new way of thinking about rewarding customers and helping them become part of the brand. I'll give you a really good example of this. I was lucky enough many years ago to go to the Nebworth Oasis gig that was 30 years ago or something. Anyway, my daughter found out about this. She's now into Oasis. She found out. She, she, I found the ticket in my loft and she really cherishes that. And I think there, there's certain things where if you were at a certain cup final or a certain uh, Super Bowl or you were at a certain... Th- and, you know, it's those things that really treasured, but it really proves you were there and it proves you undoubtedly there are only... 10,000 people at that gig or at that thing and therefore and it's yours and you can keep it and it's provable you know it's, it's undeniable I think that stuff's really cool 100% yeah. absolutely I mean it, and unless you are willing to carry that physical ticket around with you everywhere which I suspect you are not that that's a, that's a another interesting element is the sort of um, idea that your wallet becomes uh, an embodiment of your personality and who you are and the things that you like and the things that you've collected over the years. And, um, you know, you, you don't have to worry about, you know, carrying that worldwide with you. You can simply open up your phone and show the person next to you, hey, I was at that concert, you know, um, that becomes really interesting. But what's the real aha moment for me from this is, is what you were saying, Gabrielle, which means you don't trade, you don't necessarily trade them because otherwise it's not as if I can go and buy all these things up, Right. Because you can, you, of course, you can make NFTs tradable, but you're saying you can make them non-tradable too, as well. I mean, it depends, you know, definitely imagine a bit like the blockchain being a bit like a server at the end of the day. So it's not yeah. the application that we as users basically use that layer. Um, so you as a company that at the end of the day issues a certain loyalty program and says, hey, interact with me, you get an NFT and so on. You set also certain parameters um, how you can actually use that that application and that uh, that technology at the end of the day. So what I'm saying is not every brand needs to go behind um, tradability. So it's not just about issue an NFT, sell it for a certain uh, amount, and then look that it gets traded. Because if that's the point, then you have to do market making and a lot of other different things that a lot of projects do because they know the crypto market they know exactly the it's also a thing of segmentation i mean chris you said before um lacoste tried to go into basically a new segment so the whole web3 uh web3 natives crypto natives um i wonder 
how that campaign would have worked with all their web two um, users. You know what I mean? Like it's always about understanding what do I want to do? Do I want to enhance my current loyalty program and make the experience better for everyone or let's say for the people that are using it? Or do I want to tap into a new market? I see, hey, crypto is huge. There is so many people in there. I want to tap into that community. So I think that those are two different approaches. And Starbucks also shows it, I would say, pretty well. With Odyssey, they tap into Web3 um, segments and they still have their Starbucks uh, loyalty program, which doesn't get touched because there you have the maybe the grandma that is holding some stars and, and that doesn't want to go into the Odyssey and earn some stamps with NFTs and so on and doesn't even know how to open a wallet. So um, but, but I think... Is, it, but this is surely 101 of loyalty is to say, what is your strategy and what is your tactics to achieve that strategy? Because... Um, I've worked with several brands in my life where, in loyalty where the single benefit of the loyalty program, the single greatest benefit of the loyalty program was that they knew that customers who had this, had this, had had points or joined the program were more valuable than the people who worked the program. And that was almost it, right? Now, if, if people have a token that they love at Lacoste or whatever, or whichever brand it is, and people are buying and selling that because they want access to a say on the, um, the, the future of that brand, then the highest bidder, of course, or even the 10 highest bidders, that has a value to a brand. It's not perhaps not a loyalty scheme, but at least it's a way of filtering out or filtering. 100%. In. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It gives you it gives you a huge um, or a very good feeling of, let's say, your top tier customers and, and how that looks like. So that it helps a huge amount. That's why I'm saying like, it's all about how what is your goal at the end of the day and and that's how then you design and how chris said it it's it's not that you want to do now something with nft and you for the sake of doing something with an nft you search for a problem right you have some issues you want to get better you want to convert better some customers you want to be faster in certain things and that's why you use new technologies that's why you use new applications so it's always from that perspective so it's also difficult to say generally what you can do, the, the possibilities are endless. It's more, what is the goal of each company and where do they want to get? Yeah. Um, so just before we end then, can we each just give two pieces of advice to program managers about NFTs in the next couple of years? So what would you be saying to them about, if you're running a big program, what would you say? Chris, do you want to go first on that one? Sure. And, and, and it really goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, which is identify the existing challenges that you have that Web3 technology is uniquely positioned to solve and then design a crawl, walk, run roadmap to get there. It's it's really that simple. You know, I, I feel like we are in the the early days of brands trying to figure out social media again, and this is just a new medium uh, to engage with younger generations, typically in in um, new types of ways. And so, just like social media, there's going to be brands who take advantage of that early on and and win, and there's going to be others who test, learn, and fail, but all you really need to do is is kind of look around and see who's making the, the biggest bets in this new technology. And no surprise, it's Nike, Starbucks and, and Disney. Um, so that that gives me a lot of confidence that this that this tech is here to stay. And I would just encourage people to um, kind of dive in personally and and uh, and try to familiarize themselves with with what's going on here. And just be just to be on that, I, I haven't got any NFTs. If I wanted to go out tomorrow, and start to explore that. What would I do? What if I was going to do this tomorrow? What would I do? Yeah. So the first thing that you would do is you would probably get a, uh, a self custody wallet. That's that's 
um, the most typical way of doing it. And again, this this speaks to some of the friction that exists today that is is going to be uh, massively improved with you know new tech companies popping up uh, over the next couple of years. But um, what would that a, be? What what where what is a self custody? Well, where would I? So MetaMask is probably the most common one. Um, and you would ultimately fund that with, uh, you would connect it to your bank account, you would fund it with, um, uh, in most cases, uh, ETH, um, the, the Ethereum uh, uh, cryptocurrency. And uh, you would go to a site like OpenSea, which is the most popular um, kind of widespread NFT marketplace. And you would browse you know, any number of brands or interesting art projects or, or uh, the like that exist on there, they have them pretty well filtered. And that's how you would buy your first NFT. It is not without friction. Um, and again, so I, I would say my, my bold prediction actually for the next couple of years is that most people will get their first crypto by selling an NFT that they have earned. Well, I'll, I'll, have a, I'll give it a go. And, and Gabriel, what would your advice be? I think my advice would be uh, start early and fast <laughs> um, because at the end of the day, like, like Chris said it, uh, it's the same thing with a lot of different technologies. Um, the brands that waited a very long time, waited until all the others basically uh, proved that the tech is, is, is right and you have to invest in, mostly were, were very far behind then. Uh, and the other one is be open to test a lot of new things because, and also be open to fail in that sense because um, the technology is super new and uh, it's evolving from year to year. There is more and more coming up from a use case perspective, from a technology perspective. Um, there is so much happening that it, it will go in a direction where it will be uh, ubiquitous for all of us and in the background of, all, of a lot of different applications. But it needs a bit of time to get there. Uh, but we need to create adoption. So we need like innovators that are open to um, actually start testing and, and getting into the market because there is a huge value and uh, you only get it by actually starting to do something. So um, my, my biggest advice is really start early and fast. I know that's an advice that they will get from a lot of different and we, we as Web3 natives, we push it even more, but I think it's it's fairly simple. The last few hundred years show it, uh, show it uh, it's always the same thing. It's always the same thing. New tech, a lot of people say, no, I don't like it. And then it's the new thing. So <laughs> most probably, We'll stay like this. Perfect. Well, it just goes to say thank you very much to my guests tonight. So thank you very much, Gabriel Jinkula. Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you very much, Ian. It was a pleasure. Chris, same here. And thank you, Chris. Really enjoyed that. It was good. Thanks so much, Ian. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, or comment using the hashtag loyalty podcast. And we look forward to your company again soon. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>